Hey, you're watching Canvas Legalization News. It is Sunday, and we have Chad West before on today. We have a great conversation on growing. So remember, you got to be 21 or over to play in this game. Woo! What's up? It is Sunday, and we got Tom and Chad. <laughs> Hey, What's up, guys? Happy Sunday, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us, Chad. We're going to be talking everything Cannabis Cultivation 101, so uh, get into it deeply. You know, yeah. Chad, why don't you explain to people who you are, what you're about, and then we'll talk about Plant We Love. Awesome. Yeah, no, thank you guys for having me. been uh, watching the show for a long time, so it's fun to kind of be on this end and actually get a response when I talk to the screen. Uh, <laughs> I always enjoy that, even though I do it when you don't. Um but yeah, I'm a, a kind of a cannabis educator uh, at this point. I have a background of cannabis cultivation uh, on a medicinal level, on a commercial level, and I even went and did a little bit of school, did a sustainable agriculture and small food systems program, because again, uh, cannabis is agriculture. So all of those things kind of wrapped up, and being in Washington, the state where I'm at right now, I can't have a license so i like to educate people and get people growing their own yeah it's too bad uh with washington state you guys had like two bites of the apple and that was it right (laughs) yes very few chances only a certain number of uh licenses issued so they're out there you want to get in you have to buy a license in washington it's similar to illinois so if you want to get in illinois right now you have to buy a license or have applied there's some (laughs) lawsuits and stuff well there's no new ones here i don't think right I don't, I don't think they're issuing any new ones. So, yeah, you have to, you have to buy a pre-existing one somewhere. Um, yes. But, Chad, were you a medical grower? Yes, I was a medical grower. Was it for How you or for collective? Um, it, I was growing for myself and for a few other people. Uh, the collectives here kind of had you, – you could have other people sign over their plant so you can increase your – uh, limit. I never had to go that route. It was a, it was a small, uh, kind of thing. I ran a, um, I guess I'll call it a company. It's more of a group, but it was called the seniors MMJ network. Um, it was kind of a demographic that I feel, uh, had the least amount of proper information and could benefit potentially the most. Uh, so that was kind of who I worked with and kind of who I supported. Uh, and Tom, to your question, it's been a little over 10 years. So about 12 years now. Interesting. Growing. That, yep. That's the thing about medical, though. Like, there was a lot of, and that's great that you focus on the seniors. Like, I think that's a, you know, more senior homes. Uh, one one of the things that happened out here after recreational, there was a local dispensary that went to a senior home and did like a, you know, and and cannabinoid uh, lessons. And I think it's great. Perfect. More older people need to learn, right? But you know, the a lot of those older people already know now. Like at least those in Washington. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, when my mom asked me, so what do you know about the CBD stuff? I was pretty encouraged because that's, you know, kind of a, an off topic for the family <laughs> dinner table. Uh, but, you know, they, they were curious and I was able to have an educated decision and, you know, explain to people CBD won't make you high. You can avoid that if you want to. That's right. It, and then you could ex- educate them as to their cannabinoid systems that they have uh, in their bodies. And that's why they call them endocannabinoid systems. And then you could talk about the two different receptors and the inflammation uh, uh, reducing properties of CBD. So uh, you said you've been growing for about 12 years and this is a cultivation, you know, uh, uh, episode of cannabis legalization news on Sundays. Uh, what types of things do you cover in your YouTube channel? Cause you recently started one of those and it, it grew to over a thousand subs or have you broken a thousand yet? Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it broke a thousand fairly quickly, which I was yeah. I was kind of surprised about, but very pleased about. Thank you guys and girls and I think out there. You did a great job with your your uh, the way that you brand it. And so, like, you have that one particular thing. And that's the reason why people will tune in, you know? Yeah, well, I was trying to do and thank you. I was trying to do something to keep it simple on my personal YouTube channel. It's all short format. And there's a series I've that I started uh, called Just One Thing. There's a lot of information out there now, fortunately, about growing cannabis, but it can sometimes be overwhelming. So mm -hmm. what I wanted to do was bring in other growers that, you know, I know and respect and have them talk about just one topic, which is hard for experienced growers to do. They can talk for two hours, but say you only have 10 minutes, you could talk about one thing. But I wanted to keep it digestible for new growers. So, yeah, that's where that uh, came from. Yeah, well, it's it's impressive. I mean, like uh, learning to grow is really, really rewarding uh, because you get better at making really good weed. And then you see like how important really good genetics to start with are because mm -hmm. you can start with garbage and that's all you're going to get. Yep. Yeah. 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 And, you know, a lot of people, their entry is bag seed. That, that's something that I started mm. with. Uh, a lot of people that I know started with, yep. too. We but just wrapped up the bag options. seed challenge in my basement grow. Check this out. I guess we could do a, a quick cut to the uh, results of the bag seed challenge where we, we did a little big one then. Uh, cut down today. Let's see here. I can update okay. that in the back. Uh, Danielle's going to clip this monster. Yep. And so like it was, that was just bag seed. And I couldn't oh, believe the uh, density of all the buds. So there's just buds all the way down to where all the leaves were. All right. And sure. um, I have no Bring idea how much that'll get, but maybe three or four hours. Yeah. Do you have an idea where that came from? What, what, nice. what strain? Uh, we have a kind of an idea in the sense that uh, it, it may have been from a lemon tag from Nature's Grace and Wellness. But mm. then it, it, somebody that you know commented on the Instagram, and you can follow me at Cannabis Industry Flyer on that. Uh, they said it looked like uh, Oreos. And then I, I looked up that strain, and it kind of looks similar because the leaves got really purple and they were uh, thin, leaded. Uh, and then the buds were just silvery and like a very um, tight. It was nice. Yeah, that looked wonderful. Nice I, I saw saw the trichome coverage from far. That's always yeah. nice. You know, my <laughs> guess maybe was like something, maybe cookies or gelato for the exact reason you said. Uh, the morphology, the the leaves were nice and purple, and the buds were kind of little golf balls. Mm-hmm. They sure were. I tell you, little golf balls. They got they they work on that in purpose. It's something else. So. Uh, what types of genetic changes have you seen in your uh, 12 years of cultivating cannabis? I've seen a lot more flavors and a lot more smells or terpenes and flavonoids come out. Um, there, there used to be fewer options, but there were also heavier producing plants, so more biomass. Um, they didn't necessarily have the same THC profiles or, again, the flavors and the smells. So I really think legalization has brought in a whole new scene of genetics because now companies can legitimately run a thousand or a 10,000 pheno hunt. Whereas before nobody's searching through that many plants to find that one unicorn. It's a lot of risk. Very. It's a lot of risk back in the nineties trying to do a pheno hunt like that. Yes. So and that's, that's what, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that's what uh, is happening these days. And I think that's why we're getting so, so many exciting and diverse uh, profiles now. Do you think there's more <clears throat> variety now than there was, of course, you know, pre-legalization days? 
Because I mean, I think there always were growers and, and, and people who were nerded out land race. Uh, you know, the the high times, early you know, Thomas Forcade since the seventies has proven that. Like the culture has always been there, and uh, uh, I think you know it's unfortunate. Like here in Washington, like is it? Am I not correct that supposedly when the market started? Like the seed to sell bullshit. Like these are the only seeds that you can that magically showed up out of the stork, right? And then you couldn't. You're not allowed to make new genetics, right? Is that a thing? Yeah, it has to be introduced from a licensed producer. Like if uh, mm. you know X Y Z had a breeding program and they were licensed and they came up with something great, <clears throat> well ABC <clears throat> can pick that up and uh, put that out. But uh, if I, an unlicensed individual, were to have something, there's no way to really get that, to my knowledge, into the legal framework of that gotcha. seed-to-sale tracking system. Oh, okay. So I see that they're already like uh, showing, like for R and D purposes, they're 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 tracking that behind the scenes bullshit. Whereas, like, we used a hundred blue dreams and a hundred. Uh, 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 you know, cookies and cream just to see what it does. And mm-hmm. it's already being tracked in the market per se versus and that's, that's crazy. I mean, that's just way excess tracking, but I mean, whatever. <laughs> right. Well, it's funny. And I think every state has this too, but the immaculate conception, you know, uh, yeah. we, you have 30 days to make you, all of your genetic diversity show up and we don't know how it did, but it will. And then it's done. <laughs> right. No, this is ridiculous. Like the stork just showed up one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is that's something else. But um, why do we do these rules again? I don't know. But it has nothing to do with the cannabis cultivation of it all. Uh, without these rules, we'd probably have even more interesting substances and, and smells and flavor profiles and textures. But uh, one day we'll get there. Uh, so let's start in the actual aspect of this. Uh, when you pop some cannabis beans, what are you looking for? What do you how does that go? Well, yeah, how you popping? Uh, me personally, there's a variety of ways to do it. Me personally, I like a soak. So I'll just get a little cup, uh, put some pH water in there. Um, pH 6.5, 6.8. That's not uh, mission critical. But I just put them in a little bit of water and I let them soak for about 24 hours. And usually as the seed shell begins to split open, it will take in water and it will sink to the bottom. So that could be viable. And then maybe within 48 hours, I'll see a little tail come out. Or if I don't, I'll put that kind of directly into the soil. That's my preferred method. Probably the most common, though, is people uh, just soaking it between two paper towels, waiting for the same thing to happen. Nice. Nice. Uh, all right. That's it's popped. Yeah. How do I get it? Uh, when do I go from popped? to uh, putting that either in some type of other thing that it's going to go into its next form. Uh, what, what we do then? You know, I, I'm just going to pretend like I'm an idiot who doesn't know any. Yeah. It's, no, it's great. It's a good question because um, there is a margin of error with everything that we do. Uh, and when I said tail, you're going to see a little white tail looking thing popping out at the end of the seed. Now, sometimes when you just see it emerging, you can put it into the soil I personally prefer to wait until it's a quarter inch, but I've also neglected them before and they were two inches growing through the paper towel. And then I take them gently. uh, You know, I usually will pick it up with tweezers and then put it in my hand, being careful not to pinch the tail or anything. Uh, And then you want to put it tail down into the soil. So it's going to have the, the, the shell will still be on it and then tail down, shell up and it will come up out of your soil, hopefully within a couple of days. And you only bury it maybe 
a quarter, half inch deep anyways into your soil. Now, do we need to use soil? What about, uh, are you ever messed around with other methods? Because I've never used anything besides soil, but I hear this stuff of like called DWC and other things. Uh, yes. and it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, there's this, so DWC's deep water culture, um, and there, like you said, there are a variety of methods. Uh, aquaponics, where the roots are kind of in a liquid solution. The like DWC uh, is is similar, but there's also like a high pressure system where it has nozzles. The roots are almost free hanging uh, in a basket, and there's a, a substance called hydroton. Uh, it's like little clay pebbles that you put in there as well. Um, but it's misting the roots and roots need air and they need water. And this is the best way to control uh, that mixture is, is through one of those systems. It gets explosive growth. So attractive to a lot of commercial growers, uh, but a lot of soil growers will contend you just don't get the same tastes. Well, then how do you kind of deal with the regulation aspect of it? Cause now we're going to need protocols on protocols. And so with mm -hmm. the uh, substrate, you really don't have any soil to like chipper, like what you, your root balls, I guess you can just throw into the chipper much more easily and it seems less wasteful. With soil, how do you reclaim that then? Mm. Yep, you, you can use it. And a lot of companies are using um, a cocoa, uh, which is a little bit different than soil. It's a little more porous. It holds more air in there. So you can reuse it more times without the soil structure itself becoming compact and choking the air out of the roots. So yeah, companies are reusing that root balls. Um, I'd love to see everybody go to like a living soil organic system because those root balls are really food for your next run. But I know when I was working commercially, all of the, you know, excess stems, all the excess leaves, all the excess root balls, we had to weigh, put into a dumpster and have paid to take away specifically. We couldn't even recycle it. We couldn't mulch it. It had to Man. be dumpstered and taken away. That's, uh, that's, that's the regulation right there. That yeah. is the, that's call, yeah. cannabis cultivation 101. Well, there's, there's the actual doing of the thing. <laughs> and then there's the doing of the thing according to regulations. And yes. so the same thing, I remember writing the ones you had to have like a waste disposal management plan and it had to conform with all the particular statutes. And so we have to buy like wood chippers and blend all the crap together and then put it into a bucket. And then it can be picked up by regular trash, but you have to do that. I, I'm assuming we'll also have to weigh it prior to us uh, putting it into the wood chipper. Jay, are you familiar with um, Korean growing? A, a little bit. Like, I haven't practiced it myself, but I'm surrounded by a lot of people who do it. Um, you know, like the, the Korean natural farming and the Jadam farming, a lot of that is based on using inputs and resources you have around you. Uh, right. It's almost adopted as, you know, for lack of a better term, like poor man's farming. Well, if you mentioned reusing yeah. the root ball. That's why I imagine mm -hmm. it was like direct Korean farming. Like, that's, that'd be so. Like you said, the circle of life bullshit is so much beneficial to the the grow and everything. But you know, talking about the dirt, I had a question for you when you, when you talked about the the charcoal pods and they're all you know. There's so much other shit that I don't know about. Like I'm just a happy consumer when it gets to me, and I can tell you if it's good or bad, right? Especially as yeah. an asthmatic. <clears throat> but when the pods, right? Because you're, you're you're giving the plant nutrients, you're feeding it different things throughout the time. Do you still have to do a flush with the the pods the same as you would with soil? 
Um, it, it really kind of depends on how you're feeding it. So, mm. y- yeah, in a lot of like the DWC uh, or hydroponics, they'll they'll still do a flush, but their flush is just basically removing nutrients from the water and running clean water for a little bit. Uh, whereas soil or a cocoa, if you're feeding it synthetically, it's very popular to, yeah, run a large amount of water through kind of to drain and leach out a lot of mobile nutrients. Um, you don't really see that in the living soil world, though, because those people have their microbes in there and they're not trying to wash things out. But again, uh, they're using more uh, an organic form versus synthetic form. So it's not really the same concern uh, in regards to flushings. Yeah, I mean, the guys have jumped to the edge of the thing. We were talking about they were this big. And, and now we're talking about flushing and before the uh, the chop and whatnot. <laughs> Let's go all the way back and rock this back into like, okay, they're this big and we've picked our medium. Then what happens? Yep. So you're obviously, you're going to need a place for them to go. Now, fortunately, at this stage, uh, light leaks, as we call them, so not totally dark area, uh, are permissible. uh, But that is something that you'll need to correct before you go into flowering. But at this stage, the, the plant... Uh, you know, again, I prefer to keep them in a small four inch container at this size, just because it's easier to water, uh, keeping the level of water and oxygen equal versus putting a little plant in a big pot and then trying to water the big pot. Uh, so that's important. I'll keep it in that size of container. And it also doesn't need nearly as intensive a light at this stage. You can almost use, well, you can use CFL bulbs to kind of get those early seeds or clones ready for vegetative period. So definitely a controlled yeah. darker area. I put it outside. I'm just lazy. I, got, I don't have gone through this whole experience. You know, like I've done the germination. I've done Maybe the he's pop. a sun-grown kind of guy. Maybe lazy. I sun-grown. Yeah. Well, I'm lazy kind of guy too. I, and I put it in the, the little <laughs> pot. And then so that's the only thing I, re- I, I really try and look at is the pot size at the, in the end. Because you want to, you know, as you slowly build pots, the sensitive plant it gets shocked and everything. But I've never, you know, really taken the time to, like, you know, do it proper. We're, like, putting it in a dark room for the for. How long would you say? Like a week or two in like a, a, a semi-lit room with a bulb? Yeah, yeah. You can usually go um, for about a week or two. Usually when the plant develops its first set of true leaves, um, it'll typically grow with one blade and then maybe three blades. But once it gets to the five blade or the five finger leaf, that's usually considered your first true leaf. Okay. So usually after about the first or second set of true leaves, that's when I'm going to look at transplanting it into something larger. So, you know, roots don't get too compact. And uh, Let's talk about true leaf. Yes. This is to cut you off, Chad, but it's 420. 20 past <laughs> the hour out there. So smoke them if you got them. And we'll be back to talk about the origin of true leaf, which is something I just punched about right now. So is this the origin story of the Florida cannabis brand True Leaf? There is a phrase in agronomy or uh, cultivation purposes called a True Leaf. Chad, thank you for joining us on Cannabis Legalization News Sunday program. Um, What is a True Leaf? True leaf, uh, again, is going to be your first mature leaf on the plant. Uh, It's not going to be the first one that grows out of it, but it is going to be that five-fingered blade or seven-fingered blade as it grows up. Fascinating. And so maybe that's how come true leaf 
is what is there truly if it's uh, that Florida cannabis company got its name would not uh, surprise me because they probably hired somebody to help them with that name. Uh, so when you have the true leaf there uh, and when does veg officially start? I mean, is that are we in veg as soon as we put the little uh, thing into its medium? Is that officially when veg starts or is that still prop or what's going on with that? Yeah. Well, it's all subjective, really. Um, You you can consider that the beginning of veg. Other people will consider it the beginning of vegetation after the first set of couple true leaves. Um, A lot of people for vegetative periods, unless you're uh, working a particular crop rotation or a certain cycle, most growers will put them into flower based upon height or size, not necessarily, you know, well, it's, it's 20 days old. I've got to put it in there now, unless, you know, your commercial operation and again, your fitness schedule. Um, so in that sense, it doesn't necessarily matter when veg begins. Uh, and that's why kind of why I said subjective there. Hmm. But when you say veg, you're talking about the bud, right? That's what you're looking at. Or are you just talking overall, like the branches coming out and whatnot? Yeah, the branches coming out. So vegetative state, the the, the plant has two main um, areas. I mean, we'll ignore seedling. Uh, you have your vegetative and your flowering. Vegetative we've is we're, the seedling stage. Yes. We've, we've graduated seedling at the true leaf, and now yeah. we're into the, the two predominant things, right, Chet? So, like, go, go – don't mean to interrupt. I'm just trying to make sure that the, the folks that, uh, that are listening on their way to work are going like, what are they talking about? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So you, you have uh, the vegetative stage and the flowering stage. And right now we're talking about the vegetative stage. Vegetative stage is where it's putting on a lot of its growth. Uh, just like you said, Miggy, it's putting on its lateral branches. Uh, it's growing new leaves. It's growing new roots later uh, that will support the bud formation. But this is the basically the stage. This is where you're sculpting your hedge. You want it looking beautiful and then you put it into flower. But yeah, that's the vegetative stage. No, no actual flower production. Is it in the vegetative stage that you know if you get a boy or girl? Not until you flip it into the flowering stage, because the yeah, flowering stage. Yeah, yeah. I just, is, let's make sure that we work through veg before yeah, yeah. we get to the flower. I mean, so okay, we aren't gonna. It's still like you know how your friends sometimes they get pregnant and then. They do something on social media that uh, exposes the gender of their child and like they burn down a church next to them. <laughs> that's that's coming after we make the flip. And so let's yeah. talk about how uh, how do things go well in veg? Mm. What is the goal of veg? Let's talk about it and, and spend some time so that people can kind of be like, yeah, that's that's the vegetative period. Yeah. Vegetative period, you're trying to set yourself up, kind of like you're saying, you're trying to set yourself up for success. And the way you're going to do that is, you know, you're going to keep the plant healthy. You don't want to run into any nutritional issues. You want to make sure that you're watering it properly uh, and that it stays happy. But one main way that you can set yourself up for success is by shaping the plant or pruning the plant. Some people call topping. There's a variety of ways to do it. LST, low stress training. But the reason why you do these things, and I can explain a few of them if you'd like. Um, Let's get into it. Okay. Yeah, the, the purpose here, though, the goal is to maintain a level canopy uh, for two reasons. Well, many reasons. Two reasons, I'll tell you, though. Um, one is this thing called apical dominance. And this is something that you see in plants all over nature. It wants to send the most energy and the more th- more growth hormones to the tallest point. 
again, tallest yeah. point usually is what gets fertilized and in the plants, especially an annual plant, that's what it wants to do. So mm. if you maintain a nice little canopy, all of these tops are kind of getting the same growth hormones. They're gonna grow at the same size. And when you think about it, I'd rather, instead of having one, I know I'm skipping ahead here, but instead of one big cola at the end, I'll have many colas. Because right. not only are the hormones controlled, but the light hits it evenly. So that's why we top or train our plants. Well, now, top is shaping the canopy. Is top, this, uh, what is shaping the canopy? And so yeah. like, uh, what types of techniques would you use to build out this canopy? And how would you make sure that it's this uniform structure that you, uh, that your goal is trying to achieve? Yep. So topping is one technique and that is where you, uh, will let the plant grow maybe to about seven nodes. Nodes are the intersections where the lateral branches and the leaves come off and then you cut the top. That sends, again, a lot of the hormones to those lower branches that will all kind of grow out evenly. Uh, so it almost looks like a chandelier. That's mm -hmm. one way. Uh, it's fairly stressful on the plant, but it's common to be done. A lower stress way is you can bend branches and people will use things called a scrog net. Uh, and it's a net that if your branch is growing up and you have your net here, you can tuck it under the net and then it's gonna grow this way and then back up and then you tuck it again. And that's another way to low stress train that canopy flat. And those Damn. are probably the two most common techniques that are used by people. Well, doesn't topping also split your branch too? It gives you more bang for your buck. It, it, it uh, gives you two branches opposed to one. You, you can't. There's a technique called fimming, and okay. it's it's uh, frick I missed is what it stands for. It's when you're going to top it, but you actually cut it a little too high. And yeah, instead of it stopping there, it actually will sprout two and sometimes four lateral branches okay. from that area. Hmm. Fascinating. So that's like the accidents. Oopsies. <laughs> yeah. Happy accidents. Yeah. Fimming. Happy accidents. Uh, is that one of the reasons why whenever you see pictures of like commercial cannabis operators uh, flowering canopies, they all look like they're just the same. They're like, uh, like it's dense and it's all the same level and uniform. Yep. And a lot of thought goes into that. And a lot of that, too, is genetics, like we we're saying earlier. Um, that's why companies don't run large rooms with 10 different varieties in there. They'll run 10 rooms because each canopy level, each plant is going to want to be a little bit different. And also, then you have something to do next week. Pull down that room oh, and then go on to the next one. No, whatever, you know. Uh, it's never it's, ending. Uh, it's, well, that's, oh, yeah. that's kind of the point. You know, it's, it's, it's um, industrial agriculture, isn't it? Yeah. And so, you know, in many ways, you are working on a plant as if you are working on like a feedlot to a certain extent. Uh, but let's, we're, we're talking about vegging. Um, have we discussed it enough? Like, let's talk about the temperature and also the light settings then in veg, because we mentioned a yeah. lot of the training for the shaping of the canopy. Mm -hmm. We haven't mentioned the, you know, lighting or humidity or what's, what's going on there. Yeah. Environment is a huge deal. Uh, you know, usually lighting and environment are my top two, uh, mission critical things to have under control for any successful grow. Uh, environment is important 
temperature you'll typically run your or 65 to 85 is really kind of the safe zone humidity 40 percent to 60 percent is kind of the safe zone um, it will vary depending upon seedling veg or flower what you want your humidity at uh, but temperature wise it's all kind of universal this is on the assumption temperature wise that you are using led lights um, a lot of uh, commercial growers or older growers are still using what they call the HID, high intensity discharge. There's the big lamps with the bright bulbs. And they're uh, warm. Warm yeah. your hands up. You know? <laughs> yes, they, they do. And they heat the room up a lot. But you usually run the room cooler uh, if you're using those. I just yeah. assume everybody's on the LEDs so that, you know, upwards of 80, lower 80s is kind of where the max want to be. So as a seasoned grower, you're past the LED conversation. Like, because that used to be a whole big thing too, the type of light the plant got, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of growers I know were like, oh, it's never, you know, you don't get the full spectrum or whatever other yeah. thing that you want to talk about. And then other ones like, no, you can totally, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not a grower. So are you an LED guy? Yep, I'm LED now. And you're absolutely right. It's about spectrum. Because again, we're all trying to mimic the sun. Nothing does it as good as the sun. Um, so people are trying to convince you that they have the next best sun in their product. Uh, but, yeah. you know, the, 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 the let's just pause for a second just to think <laughs> about the hubris of this. Oh, you think you got the sun, do you? Well, I got this new LEDs better than the sun. New sun, we call it. Uh, sure, bro. How much is it? <laughs> yes. And it's interesting, too, just to see over the years uh, the, the way that the science can get manipulated. When LEDs first came out, uh, mm. they were very blue and red heavy. Uh, we called it Blurple. And uh, we have a picture of Blurple in our in our overlay right there. As you can see, that's that's the evidence of the Blurple right there. And then when I did a brand refresh, I kind of like took that Blurple and used it as our base color because I'm like, nice. some people will recognize that. Yeah. Yes. I like some people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it. It's a good color. We still have it. And there's, you know, there's, there's agricultural science to support that it does improve growth. Mm. They're great spectrums, but monochromatically, uh, no, not so much. You need a full spectrum. So again, that they said they have the next best thing to the sun and here we are four or five <laughs> years later and there's a new next best thing to the sun and that'll yeah. continue to happen, but we get better and cheaper and more efficient each round. Yeah. That's the beauty part of it. And I just can't wait for this to start happening to like water reclamation. And then, uh, and then, but then you still have to do the power draw as well, and then the temperature control. So it's still like a lot of like energy that you would be drawing. But how much can we make this uh, carbon neutral? Like, can we eventually? Will battery technology and solar cell technology disrupt our energy draws just as much as LED technology disrupted HID lighting? And so that's that's my hope and goal for the next decade. So like by this time we're having this conversation in 2033. Your uh, price per pound for indoor isn't six hundred uh, ish dollars a pound. It's maybe like three hundred. That'd be great. But they got that already in Oregon. <laughs> they <laughs> yeah. already have. I'm just saying, you know, carbon neutral indoor in Oregon. No, not that carbon neutral. I'm talking about three hundred dollars yeah. pounds. <laughs> oh yeah. But yeah, that'd be more awesome if it like gave back to the earth and shit. You know, yeah. three hundred dollars pounds. And, and, you know, like where I'm at, I'm out on the coast and I looked into this. I'd love to get a license here. Uh, the, the county right below me actually permits uh, wind turbines. And, you know, living oh, wow. on the coast, you don't get a bunch of sun, but holy cow, do you get wind. And that would be a really easy way to uh, take, a, take a grow off the grid. Oh, Powers itself. And you got a piece of equipment you can depreciate. 
It's a win-win <laughs> if you can have the capital to be able to get it. But you know, you're going to have a cash flow. We <laughs> so in the in the in the vegetative state too uh, is to be considered or like what you feed it. Is that like the prime yeah, time to meat. give it yeah. like the the best nutrients? Like to shove it, like feed it like a fat pig. Like, right. it. come on, baby. <laughs> Preload it, front load it. Yeah, you know, it is. And, and it's, it's great that you mentioned that because the feeding regimen that you give it in vegetative state is going to be a little different than flower because vegetative stage, again, we're focusing on biomass. We're focusing on the growth. We want it, you know, big and strong, but we're also focusing on what's underneath because the roots. Uh, there's a saying, uh, there's an old saying, it's, it's more roots, more fruits. Because it really is true. The bigger your root system, the more buds you're going to get in the end. And so you're feeding usually something that's maybe a little bit more nitrogen heavy compared to flour. Uh, Nitrogen will promote the growth. It's going to keep things green. Uh, it's kind of like your Red Bull, I guess. Uh, and then there's there's secondary things like calcium, which is a, a micronutrient. It doesn't need it in large amounts, but that helps to build and structure cell walls. Mm. A lot of people have heard the word CalMag tossed around when it comes to growing. Uh, mm. And calcium yeah. is one part of it. Calcium is very important. Mm. Everything with feeding, though, is about balance and the ratios that you're feeding it. So yes, veg gets a little bit different feeding schedule than it would in flour. Because you're also okay. looking at the pH balances and whatnot, right? Like that's a, a thing. pH is very important. Yes, of the of the input. If you're if you're pouring water on top, we just call that a soil drench. Uh, so if you're doing a soil drench, you absolutely want it in a particular pH range because roots are able to absorb nutrients in like a certain band. And if you're way outside of that band your plant's never going to get those nutrients despite how many are inside the soil. That's right. I've learned that before. It's a yes. painful lesson. Uh, okay, I've learned so it the hard way of, too. So you're looking for uh, CalMag and some uh, nitrogen, and then what pH would you be dialing it into? And uh, Ty- ECs. Yep. Yeah. Uh, typically, typically with... Um, Typically with soil or a soilless medium, I'll go like 6.5 to 6.8 on the pH. Uh, if it were cocoa, I would maybe go 6.3 to 6.5. It doesn't sound like a big difference, but the pH scale isn't linear. It's logarithmic. So the difference between 5 and 6 on a pH scale is 100 times difference. A difference between a 5 and a 7 on a pH scale is a 1,000 times difference. So just because it's like, point three off or whatnot may not sound big in that sense it can be and that's why uh an instrument with a low margin of error is important uh you don't you don't want that margin of error to throw you off there well she's sensitive i mean uh, she's sensitive for being moved she's sensitive from what she inputs because you know we are what we smoke yes <laughs> anything else do we have to address in the vegetation stage is there something like vital that you should look out for and avoid i want to make sure that i understand how to grow the roots really good what else do we need yeah. to make sure and you know, root health is going to be mm. great we still also haven't i think we talked about like fairly high humidity you know 60 to 80 percent or something like that and then different intensity of lights uh more blues right you know less less reds yep Yep. Yep. More blue is going to kind of keep it a little bit shorter, whereas the red is shown to stretch the plant out. So yeah, we're trying to keep it shorter a little bit more on the blues. 
uh, in that phase. Uh, for root growth, there's uh, mycorrhizae is is uh, kind of like it's a fungus. It, it networks in the root system and it kind of attaches to the roots. And what it does is it has little arms that pull in nutrients. And then it kind of cycles it into the root system, uh, just in a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. That is one of the better way to increase your root density is when you transplant from that four inch container into the container you're going to use for the vegetative stage, uh, sprinkle some of that mycorrhizae powder down in the hole before mm. you put your roots back on it, because then they come in immediate contact with the roots and they're off to the races, that will propagate that system more efficiently than anything else. Only other consideration there is just your watering practices. Again, too much or too little, the roots aren't going to thrive. So it's that Do we have a temperature issue? Temperature-wise, you, your soil temperature, yeah, you kind of want to keep that about the same as your air temperature in that 65 to maybe 70 range. Well, actually, it's probably a little wider, 60 to 70. But you definitely can go too cold. If you're too cold, roots aren't going to grow as fast or absorb as fast. Too hot, again, they can cook. So like black containers out in 100 degree sun, you're cooking your roots too hot. Oh. What, uh, for watering, what, how do you avoid it? Do you moist dirt? What are you looking for to avoid drowning your plant? Um, consistent watering practices. The best way that I recommend for people is if you go out to... Uh, your local box store, they'll usually sell those uh, pouring measuring cups that have the milliliters marked out, yeah. uh, the 300, the 500, the 1,000. Go get those because consistency is key. Um, so what you're trying to do is at first saturate the soil before you put your plant in. Lift it up. Feel how heavy that is. General rule of thumb, when you lift it up and it's half as heavy as it was, then it's time to water again. You're also looking at the leaves, though. If they start wilting time to water yeah i'm yeah. a horrible plant parent i'm a horrible i just left them in the outside of the backyard i just water the hose like you know when i'm doing the tomato plants like i'm horrible like i just geez. if they stay happy <laughs> if they stay happy <laughs> mm. uh, check them in the morning and then like uh, you can see the leaf go like that and then feed it right back up uh it gets gets happy again because i don't want to overwater i've had problems like that before okay so we've shaped the plant we've got it all nice and, and looking how we want to before we, we switch things up and make the flip. So uh, what is the flip, Chad? So the flip is where you switch the lighting schedule because cannabis is a photoperiod plant. It will not flower until it gets a certain set or a certain amount of light per day. Um, vegetative, some people go 24 on, some people go 20 on, four off, some people go 18 on, six off. Those are the common times. Uh, for vegetative period, when you flip it, you're changing the light schedule to 12 hours on and 12 hours off. That initiates a hormonal reaction inside the plant. It goes into flowering mode. That is the flip. That's pretty neat. You can force the, the activation of the plant to start like... Can you force tomatoes to be tomatoes? Can you force... Like, what other plants can you do that to? I mean, it's agriculture. It's just pretty cool. Yeah. I, and good that, you know, uh, like we were saying earlier, people will uh, decide when to flip by the size of the plant. Mm. Uh, and because you can indefinitely keep something in vegetative state, you can decide how big or how small when oh, you put shit. them into flower. Yep. Wow. 
That's so cool. But then, so he did a flip, and this is where we get the balls or no balls, right? Yes, yes. This is when you get to see the the pre-sex, the sex organs of the plant. Yep. Gender reveal party of cannabis happens at the flip, everybody. That is uh, the most important thing. How long uh, before you can start seeing the the results of switching the life schedule you know, on the plant? Will it start expressing the uh, the flowers? Usually within seven to 14 days. Um, some plants that had a long vegetative period, they might show uh, pre-flowers, but typically when you're putting them in through the flip, it's now on a 12-12 schedule. Uh, seven to 10 days is about when you start to see them and you'll notice them at the nodes, which again are the crux of the main stem where the leaves and lateral branches come out. That's funny, we cool. party. I think that's a great. Somebody yeah. shaking their head to that. I mean, but well, true though, you could have a boy. You're like, ah, shit. Like, Chad, is that possible? Can you do it wrong? Is there anything throughout this time you have great genetics to start with, but can you like, oops, I made a boy instead of a girl? Because I mean, eventually these plants do have to breed, right? And then, you know, pollen comes from somewhere. So is there, is there something that you can do by accident that changes that? Or is it just great? Well, it, it's all it's all kind of predetermined in the genetic code, the genome. Um, and, and this is developing science. We're, we're looking at the, the genome again, and there have been particular uh, alleles that are traced back to sexual expression. Um, we're, the, the general working knowledge right now is that it's predetermined, but there are certain stress factors. Like if I fed it too much nitrogen or it yeah. suffered a lot of strout dress uh, in vegetative, that might trigger one of these alleles to then make it express as a male. Um, but that, again, is kind of developing science at this point. Oh, sure. Yeah, those guarantees, everybody's doing that, right? <laughs> but yeah. there's still something that's questionable about it. Yep. It's, it is. It's still, it's still kind of a roll of the dice. There is uh, um, sex testing, which you can send away a sample of the leaf. They're able to tell from that. And from the people that I know that use it, they're pretty darn reliable. So again, that kind of indicates that it's predetermined while you have the scientists over here saying there's the allele. So yeah, we'll leave it at there. <laughs> okay. Well, it's come out one way or the other. Uh, First, let's talk about practical realities. There's no way that anybody is going into production and vegging and, and wasting all that real energy and shelf space and rack space to, to flip into a flower commercially. I mean, like, if they're going to go into flower, they're not just relatively certain. They're darn certain that yep. that plant is a female. Uh, so you're not going to be going from seed for a production run uh, commercially. But, you know, if you're growing your own medicine, of course, you might be. Yeah. And so let's say you're growing your own medicine from seed, regular seed, not uh, feminized, just regular seeds. And you've shaped them both. You don't know yet. And then uh, one of them turns out to be male. Uh, what do you do? You need to remove that male as soon as you detect the little balls that hang down. Um, there's, there's a little ball that will hang down from that area. And when it opens, um, we all refer to them as bananas because it looks like a cluster of bananas <clears throat> hanging from a tree. And those are full of pollen. So if you see those bananas, you've probably already pollinated your female flowers slightly. So yeah, the instant you see a male, you want to remove those and you get them out as quick. Some, like you were saying, most commercial places are going off of clones because 
with a clone, the sex is already known. Uh, there is, are also feminized seeds available now. Um, they're great, but it depends on how many you're running because like anything, uh, you know, Jurassic Park, they'll find a way to survive. There may be a male in a thousand feminized seeds. So, well, that's, yeah, because yeah, the, the ones that we just got done chopping down today, those bag seeds, because I swear, they came from beans that I bought at a dispensary. So how did that bean get into that bag, even though it was a, it was a room full of females? Life yep. finds a way. Uh, sometimes things can herm, right? Yep. What does yep. that mean when I say, oh, that plant had hermed, and that might be why there was a bean in my bag? Yep. And so that is a plant uh, that is expressing both sexual <clears throat> characteristics. And usually in the case of the herms, it's not a very um, obvious sign. It, it may be just a few different balls in a plant with thousands of female pistols in there. So, yeah, that, that can be a real problem. And that's, again, why people like the, the tried and true genetics, because uh, not many people like smoking seeds. <clears throat> but a lot of that, the tried and true stuff comes from, like you said, a mother plant, because if you're going to do a crop fresh out of seeds. It's a crapshoot no matter what, because it's an FDA. It's a, it's a goddamn agriculture product. You don't have a guarantee that all these seeds are going to produce. You know, you hope, fingers crossed. You know, and I think that's the miscalculation, the mis interpretation a lot of people come in the industry they're thinking oh i'm just gonna plant seeds and you know make a lot of money and sometimes shit happens yeah and and that's a tricky thing with the plant count too because with regular seeds if you have a plant count of six plants and you plant those and three turn out to be male but you need the yields of six to provide yourself with rso or edibles uh that can be kind of a disappointment so clones or feminized seed in that sense for the home gardener makes uh, absolute sense 100 percent. how do you think about that yeah, the home gardener could benefit from clones, but they also may want to have that type of authenticness that comes from just doing a regular seed. I think some people might look at an auto flower seed or a, a feminized seed and be like, hey, that's too far from nature, man. And, and they're trying to grow in their basement under artificial lights. Real authentic. <laughs> my, my question, you know, I, I understand what you're saying. That's too far from nature. But Chad, you being a grower and somebody who's familiar with the plant, I mean, you bred. Have you bred yep. before? Yep. So, again, it takes the male plant and the female plant. And you got to, like, put them together, shake them or whatever you do, and it pollinates it all over. But, like, uh, you know, there's a boy-girl version of all these plants. And I just totally lost where I was going with because that was a really good hit I just had. So. Oh, what are you smoking on over there? In, uh, in, I got uh, some uh, Obama Kush, some legal Obama Kush. It's uh, pretty decent from uh, uh, one of these farms. I didn't know Obama was in the game. No, but he, he probably doesn't know either. Oh, that is just one season to right? away from uh, the the former president going like, I do not. I'm not going to even try to. Disney, you know, if just, Disney can do it, yeah. they can too. Mm. <laughs> Shit. Uh, the so Girl Scouts, the Girl Scouts can do it, and like it's GSC now as a or Gorilla Glue, and it's GC. Oh, mm -hmm. Cease and desist letters have been sent before. I've gotten one. Really? <laughs> yeah. For, for but it's not was it for something you created or just a grill that you were growing, like for Gorilla, you know, glue, glue or something? Could shit. be somebody's IP that he was squatting on allegedly. Al allegedly, oh. uh, no, it was a, a Trans High Corporation owner of high time sent me a cease and desist at one point. Cause I happen to own a domain name that is, uh, identical. They're a big, 
Yeah, no, they were big with that a long time ago. Like suing people, like create Facebook groups for high times or events. You know, they were very touchy feely about their whole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just did uh, it to sell to them. <laughs> did you? Yeah, I didn't do anything with it. All right, all right. Well, let's go through the flowering stage now. With this cavalcade of uh, the episode of rolls on. Uh, we've we've made the flip. We're going through early flower because we've already done the gender reveal. So now we're into week two. Uh, what's the temperature? What's the feeding schedule? Uh, and then what's your opinion on 12-12 light cycle or should I do 11 light, 13 mm -hmm. dark? Most people are going to go with the 12-12. 11-13 has been explored out there, um, and it's not really going to damage your plants anyway. Some people will say it'll give different phenotypic expressions. Uh, ultimately, it's a way to save an hour worth of power. Um, but 12-12 is, is really kind of the universal one, and it's like most answers, strain-specific. So... That's probably the, the, the best way to, to answer that one, although the majority, again, is on the 12-12. Um, but yeah, at, at the second week, you are kind of changing a few things. You're starting to notice bud formation. Uh, so you want to increase your light intensity at this point uh, in flower. Again, that's, that's the kind of the powering everything there is the light powers the photosynthesis which powers your growth um, you're also changing your feed schedule so speaking of growth we talked about in the vegetative stage nitrogen was a little more important that was higher than the other numbers on the npk which are the three numbers you see on your nutrient bottle so nitrogen yeah, of course. potassium there, oh, you're, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just like, don't forget to explain what NPK stands for, you know, and you're in the process of that. So go, go ahead. No worries. Uh, nitrogen, potassium, uh, and phosphorus are, yes. are your NPKs. And in the flowering stage, moving away from the growth of biomass, moving away from the root production uh, formula you're feeding more of that p and k and you're reducing the n so reducing nitrogen more phosphorus and potassium to uh promote bud growth flower mm. growth so light intensity change feed changes and you've kind of stopped doing any of that training and then, uh, humidity change Humidity change, you'll start to go a little bit lower. Um, yeah, vegetative was probably, you know, 70 at the highest, 60 is the preferred. Uh, you'll, you'll drop down to maybe about 50 and then potentially 40 by the end of harvest. And you're, you're doing that for a variety of reasons, but the buds, they, they remain dense and moist. Uh, lower humidity lowers the chance for botrytis and other types of molds. Mm. You get to the, um, with the buds and, uh, uh now you know you've achieved this beautiful cola. Uh, what is flushing like? At what point do you start flushing, and, and what does that do? Yep. So flushing is one of these things that now that it's legal, people are looking at a lot of the uh, mechanisms and causations behind the plants. Flushing has been debated. So the the thought here with flushing is you're getting the synthetic chemical nutrients out of the plant tissue which includes the buds, so you don't inhale or smoke those. Um, whether those are actually accumulated in small amounts, yes, they are. Uh, but flushing is the intention of 
Again, you're trying to remove all that by flushing them out of the soil, getting enough pure water to the plant that it just kind of gets it. And you will see that. So sorry to be long-winded on that no, one. No, you're good. No, 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 <laughs> that was the point. This yeah. is a, a deep dive into the cannabis cultivation, and we are at uh, mid-flower, approaching harvest, uh, getting into flushing. And so, uh, great. Uh, this is all good things. Uh, I want to talk more about, like, colors and mm. when do colors start to really uh, – happen because like they the one that we just chopped we let it go nine weeks and it got purple as hell around like week five or something like okay. that of, of those uh those weeks of flower and as it got into like you know week seven or so it was very very purple at nice. the uh, end of the day but it was it didn't look like that when it started flower so like how do colors start changing yeah, it's a, so the purple is the anthocyanin uh, inside the leaf and the pigment of the chlorophyll will start to get replaced by that. And you're right. They don't typically start out that way. The few things that can cause the purpling, main thing is going to be genetics. Um, another thing can be cold. Uh, cold kind of affects the phosphorus uptake. Lack of phosphorus shows as purple in your leaves. I did um, mess with the temperature. I would shut off the uh, it's in, it's basement grow, middle of Illinois. So like I'd shut off the heater at night. And so it'd get down to about 65 degrees in the basement. Mm -hmm. Does it yep. smell different? Yep. Does, uh, does, it, does it taste different or anything? Shouldn't. No, it yeah. shouldn't. Um, Just harvested it. Let yeah. you know in three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but but you're right though. It's usually something that that comes on usually within the last third of the flowering phase, and it's also something that you'll typically see when you begin the flush as well. Some, I mean, some plants just genetically won't express that ever, but a lot of them, again, you're starting to flush. You're getting rid of the nutrients it needs. It starts to show the lack of it in the leaves, and sometimes that manifests as purple lack of phosphorus there. I hear all sorts of gobbledygook about various magic potions that you can mix into your water and they're going to like do stuff to your terps and your plants and all these types of things. What's up with that? Um, there's a lot of wonderful marketing out there. Again, people seizing on evidence that is cherry picked and presented in a manner of, <laughs> you know, absolute truth. Uh, and yeah, there are some products. I always encourage anybody of these products, every chemical solution out there has to have an MSDS published. Go look at the MSDS sheet and you'll be surprised at what some of these magical ingredients actually are. MSDS is an acronym for Master Services Department. Like something toxic. or other. Something. I don't what know is, what it is. What, is it, what does it stand for? Yes. <laughs> I know you have to have it though. Material safety data sheets. There we go. Yep. Ah, yep. uh -huh. thank you very much, Miggy. Miggy is the compliance component of the hosting of the show. Uh, that's what he does. Compliance. Is. Thank you. But uh, um, so you're saying some of these uh, magic chemicals though, are things that are like toxic, right? Like, because this plant essentially absorbs a lot of everything that it's put into it. I mean, you could be smoking pretty much. Like Eagle Twenty Two was a ban. Yeah. Is a banned substance. You know, like yes. Yeah. Uh, cannabis and hemp are awesome bioremediators, meaning they will soak up metals. They will take up toxins from the soil. They'll leave the soil great, 
but they bioaccumulated this in the plant. And that's where a lot of the synthetic nutrients have the concern is the accumulation of heavy metals. And in this case, Eagle 20, uh, it was systemic. So it would go into the plant tissue. You couldn't remove it. And when that is heated to a certain temperature, it basically like forms formaldehyde and all these other toxic things. And that's the big deal with a lot of chemicals and pesticides and cannabis. They may be tested and safe for XYZ application on your roses, but they've yeah. never been tested for combustion. Exactly. It's for edibles. You know, that's the one thing. Uh, I think Washington's just getting to testing now all plants, like for pesticides. Like, that's, they're just getting to it. Like, Dude. it used to be medical only. And now they just, I think, put out an email like last week saying they're finally going to test all. Like, seriously, it's been 10 years. It's been eight years have been legal. Like, yeah. Yeah, they really care. Yeah, yeah. that's why. It's yeah, they don't they don't look down on you for using the product at all. Right. But we like your money and your taxes and all the other <laughs> shit you provide. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I was essential. <laughs> right. <laughs> no doubt. Dude, I mean it's so funny how cannabis is just always dismissed. You know, the, the the lesser of like it's what it's just weed. Don't worry about it. Just yeah. like, fuck you. Well, we're in jail for we're it. getting to the, the magic hour now because yeah. now we've talked about most of all the cycle and we're basically to harvest. And so as we approach the harvest of the, the cannabis. What are the telltale signs that make you know, all right, tomorrow morning, we're taking it. Uh, how, do you, how do you make that call? Yep. You make that call off the color of the trichome heads. The trichome are the, the sticky little white things on the buds that we love to see more of because we're like, that means it's better. You're looking at the color of the trichome head on the bud and not the leaves. Leaves mature faster. There's three colors. There's clear, there's milky, and there's amber. Now, you want to harvest when the majority of them are milky. General rule of thumb is 10% amber, 80% milky, 10% clear. A good way to determine that is if you have a camp. Jeweler's loop is the main thing. You cut a little piece off, you put it under there, you can see them perfect. If you don't have that, use your cell phone or a good camera, zoom in on them. You'll actually be able to see the color of the trichome heads. That is your ultimate judge of when to harvest hmm. so you want a ratio of trichomes not just one solid like i, I was always I nervous about that it was like when is the right time do i want them all to be one color but i guess it makes sense that you want like because now this canvas like say uh does it still cure itself after it gets cut does it still like you know it's still living for a little bit. Yep. It's still yeah, living those, for a little bit. Those heads will still continue to mature for a little bit. Terrifying those poor girls just hanging them upside down in the dark. I mean, looking, looking like, hey, hey, I don't want you temperature to go over 70 and the relative humidity, it could be a little higher. It's about 48. It should be about 58, you know? Yeah. But, uh, okay. So you've harvested. And then what do you do? What, what do we do after we, uh, we find out? Okay, it's the day. We chop it at the, the main stem. Yep. Now what? Exactly like you've done. You'll, you'll typically, you'll cut them down and you'll hang dry them. There is, there's the matter of trimming. Trimming can be done. Trimming can be done dry. Um, how long you hang them for, both of these uh, are based off of it depends. It depends on what your humidity is. In the Pacific Northwest, I have no problem with humidity, so I will dry trim them because the excess leaves covering the buds when they're hanging will help keep moisture in. Cool. Uh, if it's, or I, sorry, I said that backwards. Um, it, it does help keep them in. So like a place like Colorado where humidity is low, that's more of a benefit. 
uh, to do that. Dry trimming, if you're in a place that's overly moist, uh, cut that stuff off because the buds has more surface exposed to the air. It will dry out faster in a wetter environment. So yes, you're cutting the plant down, you're hanging it 10, 14 days maybe. It all goes kind of by tactile feel and dryness. And then you can do your trimming. You put them in jars. Once you put them in jars, you open them back up shortly after to make sure that they didn't re-wet too much. It's called burping the jar. Do that for maybe a month and then enjoy. What about a turkey bag? Can I throw it in a turkey bag instead of a burping jar? If you have that much, yes, you can. You can, but, uh, you know, connoisseur versus craft, I would say. Craft is going yep. for the jars. Yep. So, but when you uh, go in for the turkey bags. <laughs> <laughs> but the, 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 the curing part, the, the part where they're hanging, do you have it in like a, an environment? Like, environment's another matter, right? Like a dark room? That's one of the things I, I, I hit them in. The yeah, dark. yeah, yeah. Dark, dark is preferred to light. Uh, environment is absolutely important. Uh, the goal is sixty degrees, sixty percent humidity. Uh, that should keep a nice dry slow. Again, we're trying to get the chlorophyll out. If you dry it too fast, the chlorophyll stays in. You get that stuff that smells and tastes like hey, no good, no good, no good. I've heard uh, the old saying. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Sixty, no, sixteen, sixteen, sixty, or something like that. Where you're you're keeping it. At the same temperature for about 16 days uh, at the same relative humidity, like 60 degrees, 60 percent relative humidity for 16 days, elongate it out. And then you uh, can finally trim it if you're going to be doing the dry trim or the hand trim. OK, now because you've you've hung dry it. How long then for the cure and the burp? So if that uh, the hang dry trim time is about 16 days, Mm -hmm. what do you want to do your burping curing time uh, prior to shipping it out the door? Uh, for, so burping and curing, it, it depends on the moisture level. A lot of these commercial facilities will have actual uh, moisture packs that they could put into these bins that keep it at a particular level. So burping isn't as essential. Uh, and then they're ready to go. Usually they're, they're eager to get it out the door even before it's dry sometimes. Um, on, a, on a home cultivation level, it depends on how much you have in reserve. Usually at that point, it's ready to be smoked and you can, but I find if you leave it for a month, it matures a little bit and has a, a more no or a better nose to it. So hmm. yeah, if, if you, you have supply, smoke it. What are your thoughts on humidity packs? I know some people don't believe in them. They think they eat up the terpenes. What are your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts are that I've been doing this long before those that product came out. So I've just learned and always done it without them. So I don't use them. Um, humidity packs, uh, there's a, one company that uses kind of like a salt-based mineral that's supposed to keep terpenes in. But then, you know, you see a, uh, some other companies say, well, nope, here's the proof that it steals your terpenes. And yeah, yeah it's I don't know enough about it to uh, say definitively. <laughs> Yeah, well, now we're just talking about storage because we had a baby, right? Right. I mean, it, it's a, it's a great way if you if you if you if you're having a hard time curing and burping, if you're messing it up, if you're getting mold, rock those, use those. They'll help you. It's a tool, but ultimately the tool's a crutch. So wean yourself off when you can. Mm-hmm. What do you think about uh, the trim uh, aspect of it? Should you over trim or should you farmers cut that stuff? I mean, I. So I got one of the girls that I took down today was just like this redheaded stranger. I mean, it's 
I could just like sit there looking at it going like, I don't want to trim this. I might use <laughs> that machine, you know, because uh, it's just the, the way that it was set up. And the other one looks like, man, that's going to trim real quick uh, yep. just because of how the, the buds are actually structured. Uh, so what's your thoughts on uh, when you're storing it? Do you like to have it fully manicured? Do you like to have more of like a farmer's cut or, or, or what do you do? I usually like to manicure it before I put it into my jars. Uh, just get rid of that extra material that can bring in moisture or still have trap moisture in it. I'm, I don't go as close as like a machine trim would, um, but it is, it's, it's fairly well manicured. There's nothing loose sticking out about it, but uh, sometimes machine trim can go very short. And an issue that I see with that is again, we're actually not after the flower. The only thing that has the cannabinoids and terpenes is that little trichome head. So <laughs> when you treat these roughly and you put them through those machines, these heads get knocked off. Mm -hmm. uh, that's an issue because again, really, we're not even after the flower part, but I enjoy the flower. So that's a great way to put it. I wonder if there's a Keith catcher in a bottom of those things. Cause I bet that'd be an amazing amount of Keith. That you could just walk away with every day. That's, that's where a lot of your pre-rolls in the state come from. Right. From that bag. Yes. <laughs> the Keith no, so, I know. That may explain why they test so highly on their THC levels. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's it, all though. trim and trichome heads. Chad, what's the, what's the biggest root ball you've seen? So, like, I've transferred root balls, and, and I've had a nice size one. I was probably about four feet, like two foot, and I was impressed by it. But yeah. I've seen grows where the plant's, like, eight foot tall. Like, how big is that root ball? Bigger than I've ever seen. Yeah. There, there's these out the outdoor growers. Um, they'll use in excess of 300-gallon containers, and yeah. they're probably filling that entire thing out. Um, I know living in Western Washington, that has not been, uh, possible, but I would love to one day grow, grow those Northern Californian big bushes. You know it? <laughs> yeah. And that, that would be something to see. Like that's, let's put that into our retirement plan. It's gotta be somewhere in Humboldt. You could turn this into because uh, like Humboldt County, just like New York before it, and even Las Vegas will get cleaned up someday. And somebody will be like, you know, we should go up there and develop it. For the kids, you know. <laughs> <laughs> They're doing all the toast stuff there with the wineries and shit. So I think it's a good chance to go see it. You know, there's yeah. any place. Uh, go down to the Hayes plot, you know, where it's yes. like, oh, the Hayes plot. Yeah. You know, Man. this tall. Those, great. Th those <laughs> are the people who were doing the big Fino hunts uh yes in, in the in the old days so the yeah that that area is where a lot of the varieties we had are are responsible for have, have you been to uh, uh california since their legalization not since legalization no but okay. i was i was there well i was there in their medical days uh yeah. so yeah medical was around and i've been through garberville and then that whole area and oh my gosh that was a something i'll oh, never forget yeah it's interesting yeah yeah i would say you want to go back <laughs> I'm not going to tell him I'm going to try to turn it into Disneyland, though. <laughs> I, I've had a beard ever since. How about that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's the beard. My, cut my hair as soon as I am on a, uh, a loan for building a farm, I tell you what. Yeah. Uh, or, or just in a few more weeks, because I just can't take it anymore. I have hair ties everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, uh, man, Chad, I want to thank you, though, for coming on the program. Yeah, and man. And walking us all the way through the life cycle of the plant it's just so much fun uh, to talk about and to learn about cultivation of cannabis. 
man, absolutely my pleasure. I, I cherish this moment. I appreciate it, guys. And, you know, again, I could do this for another five hours. So thank you for, for kind of keeping me on track today. Yeah, no problem. And uh, tell them where they can find uh, your your channel. You do have a channel. But then do you have any on uh, Do you have any like, you know, because I sometimes put up the banner for my website, you know, cannabisindustrylaurie.com. Uh, do you have a, a website out there that people can find you on? I do. Absolutely. And it will be finished this month. It's chadwestport.com. So pretty easy there. Uh, and then Instagram is chad.westport. And the YouTube yeah. channel was Chad Westport. So, yeah, fortunately, nobody has my name. Well, <laughs> you're pretty yeah, Googleable. Yeah, nobody, nice. you, well, some people consider that Chad is a pejorative. I'm like, I know. Yes. <laughs> Well, like you're not the first Chad that I've met in cannabis. It's a good guy, and I'm like, who came up with this? <laughs> I know. Can, can we go back to using the Todd? Can we go back to Todd, please? Todd, I mean, I wanted to use Gordon, you know, because nobody's named Gordon, and that it's it, how, how come we called him that? We named you after the fictional character in Wall Street that was like the greatest nice. good speech. Nice. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, that's that's who you are, you know. And it's just so much clearer. Otherwise, you talk to a Chad in the industry, and you're like. How does it make you feel? <laughs> well, what is a Chad not a Chad? What is Chad? Yeah, right. I blame my parents. <laughs> hey, that's what I do. I would definitely yeah. blame my parents. Yeah. There we well, go. We're gonna try us, to. Man. We're yeah. gonna see if uh, we can rename the Chad <laughs> as a Gordon because that's just uh, ridiculous. That people, good Chads, have to put up with being lumped in. Yes. Yeah. Well, hey, I, I'm just recently over the hanging Chad thing, so this yeah. is a little fresh, guys. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm well, not I, even I, joking. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, yeah, uh, uh, thanks for joining us and uh, you know, another triumphant episode of Cannabis Legalization News on the Sundays. And so if you guys have any guests that you want us to see get on the program on the Sundays, let us know and we'll try to reach out and see if they want to come on and talk about this industry or some aspect of it, you know, cannabis. Weed. <laughs> Weed. And you know, shout out Weed, to the members. Man. You know, we do appreciate the people that support the channel. Uh, and then also yes. all the clients. Really appreciate all the clients that help support the channel too. So we'll see you Wednesday, guys. Yeah. got a new one of those coming up but i'll have to see if i can get that thing updated what's that the uh, script thingy oh yeah but before i turn it off i should turn the loop up to like an annoying extent <laughs> oh, yeah right yeah. Yeah. legalization dude <laughs> <laughs>